Welcome to Pop Culture Retro, which was recently voted the 15th best podcast by the residents of the Golden Years Retirement Community in Boca Raton, Florida. Each show, we'll revisit some of your favorite pop culture memories with insider and outsider perspectives. Now, please help me welcome your hosts, Ike Eisenman and Jonathan Rosen. Hello and welcome to another edition of Pop Culture Retro. As everyone knows, when people think of me and Ike, the first thing that comes to mind is hip hop. (laughs) 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 Today, we are thrilled to welcome an original member of the Fat Boys, one of the most legendary hip hop groups of all time, with many gold records to their name. He's one of the stars of the movie Disorderlies and a fellow Brooklyn guy. Please help us welcome Damon (laughs) Kulwakski. Damon, what's going on? Thanks for joining us. Uh, To start with, I guess I said, you grew up in Brooklyn. Did you have an interest in music as a kid? Yeah. um, Well, I grew up in East New York, Brooklyn, and my interest of music came derived from my mother and my sisters. My mother was a huge fan of of all music. I mean, she played country music. She played uh, rock and roll. Yeah. And that's how I knew about Will and Jennings and Conway 20, all these people. So I knew about these people because she played this music in the house. I knew about Elvis Presley, um, Sam and Dave, Wilson Pickett. Um, James Brown, of course, was a staple in my house. Um, (laughs) And my sisters would play stuff like um, Earth, Wind and Fire and and Parliament Funkadelic and Elton John. My sister was a huge fan of Elton John. Um, what else? Yeah, it was just so much music, you know, Jackson Five growing up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, James Brown was like the the cornerstone of hip hop. Okay. So a lot of the stuff that he was doing was already kind of like rapping and 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 you know the music. I mean, yeah, you know, he he was just um his music was so powerful. Yeah. So when we started getting into rap music, the first thing we started doing was rapping over his beats. Mm. So, um, yeah, so, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, man, he had so many. Um, what's, the, what's the song name? Um, get Into It, Get Involved. Okay. Um, not Sex Machine. We, we did a song <laughs> later on down the road. It's, it's ironic that we did one of his songs. We, we, um, we actually did one of his songs called Sex Machine on our third album, I think. Mm-hmm. But um, man, he had so many, he had so many different kinds of beats. Um, and we had these things called park jams in the summertime. So we have the DJs would come out and we would, we, um, the DJs would, would plug up their, their systems to the light poles. <laughs> and the parks and the you know the cops will come out and see everybody out there having a good time and they'll let us get away with it for a little while <laughs> they're like you know what let them have they're having a good time there's no trouble being started because this was the start of rap music this mm-hmm. was the start of it and you know you had an MC, a rapper would come on he'd say a little nursery rhymes but you know at that time nobody really had rhymes somebody had lyrics so they just say you know stuff like Hey, diddle, diddle, the freaks in the middle, the cow jumped over the moon. You know, oh, no sweet rhymes. <laughs> we would just go crazy, like, oh, wow, he's rapping, you know. <laughs> and that was the start of it. And um, next thing you know, we just, it, it kind of exploded once Sugar Hill Gang came out with um, mm-hmm. Rapper's Delight. 
And but once the message came out with Flash and the Furious Five, that's when it just went, you know, into oh, overload. Yeah, it exploded. How, how you guys, you guys all grew up in the same area? You, oh yeah, D and Buff. And... Yeah, well, me and Mark actually grew up together. I met him when I was eight, and he was seven. And I kind of met him in a snowstorm. Um, so he was like, he lived like maybe five houses down from me. And I walked down the block to his house. He had just moved on the block. I introduced myself. He introduced himself. And I walked back down the block. And we didn't meet Buff till we were like 13. Mark was 12. I was 13. And, and Buff was 13. And that's, and that's when we met Buff, like later on down the road. So me and Mark actually grew up together. You know? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So yeah. when when you meet Buff the Human Beatbox, was anybody else doing this or no? Was, no, no, really, he's like the original. Well, here's the thing: a lot of people say Dougie Fresh was the first one. Uh-huh. Uh Dougie Fresh is from Harlem, New York. We're from Brooklyn, New York. We didn't know who Dougie Fresh was. Dougie Fresh had no idea who we were. So when when I tell people Buff was the first one, I heard that did the beatbox. They always saying, well, no, Dougie was the first one. I'm like, well, I didn't know Dougie Fresh. I knew Buck. I yeah. never heard of Dougie Fresh till like maybe 85. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so when Buck first did the beatbox, we were inside. We had so many lots in Brooklyn at this time. Like there was a house and a lot, a house and a lot, a house and a lot. So one of the many lots we were playing in one day, um, Buff's just, he starts doing this beatboxing. So me and another childhood friend, we started checking his pockets. Like, you know, what was that? He's like, that's my mouth. He's like, there's no way. Like we started, he started emptying his pockets and said, okay, well open your mouth. Let me see what's in your mouth. He said, there's nothing in my mouth. That's my mouth. That's, that's me beatboxing. I said, okay, well do it again. He does it again. I'm, it's, we're like standing there like, is this guy human? Like, you know, because we never heard anything like that. Yeah. And the way he, and it was so powerful because he was so young. But it was so powerful. You would think at the age of 20, 21, he would have enough power, enough base to do something like that. But he was only like 13 years old. We were like, wow, like this is just crazy. So we started parading him around to other people like, hey, look what he can do. And he would beatbox and people were like amazed, like, you know, what the hell? You know? So, um, <laughs> so we just started rapping, doing little raps here and there. And um, he would do the beatbox and we, you know, be on the street corner on the corner of our block and just rapping and, you know, cops would come by and just look at us like, hey, what are you guys doing? And he would start beatboxing on their microphones, you know, when they, you know, <laughs> turn someone over. <laughs> and like, hey, you got to get And he'll do it over the speakers. Yeah, it was funny, man. It was just funny. But we was just having so much fun and entering talent shows. And one day my sister, she knew we were into rap music and she drove up and she said, um, you know, you guys are always sitting around on the porch and rapping all day. Why don't you guys join? A, is this is this a, a rapping dance contest that's happening? Yeah, you asked w- about that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was on a station called WBLS at the time, and they were hosting. Well, they were promoting a rapping dance contest, and so she said, "You guys should join the contest. The first place prize is a recording contract." And the second place is um, you get some DJ equipment. So we, when she said recording contract, we just blocked that out of our minds. We, we thought about the DJ equipment. Like, <laughs> you know, 
we can get the DJ equipment, put it in our basement, in, in Mark's basement, and throw parties and make money. We had no idea what a record contract could do for us. We always thought like people who were professionals only got record contracts. We're like, man, forget about the record contract. We want the DJ equipment. How old so, were you guys at this time? I was I was 14. Buff was going on 13 that summer, and Mark was 13. Wow. So yeah, so Mark would, Buff was um soon to be 14, like another month or so. And we go up to the contest. By the way, we snuck up to the contest. I had strict, I had a very strict mother and father. Mm-hmm. So um that Saturday, we sneak up to um the semifinals of the contest. And it's, it's held in the Bronx at the Disco Fever. Mind you, we never really been off the block in Brooklyn. But everybody knows us. Everybody knows, like, it's Cool Rock, it's Mark, and it's Buff always together. So we left, like, maybe 8 o'clock in the morning. We didn't get... So we joined the contest. We got, we got to the contest. And we step inside the Disco Fever. And this big bodyguard, he puts this number around Buff's neck and says, you, you know, you guys are next. Like, well, next to do what? You know, we didn't sign anything. We didn't sign our names or nothing. We get on stage and they, they, he said, what's you guys, what are you guys' name? We said, Disco 3. He said, okay, well, um, they're going to call your name right after this act. We get on stage and we just, and me and Mark is like, what are we going to do? So Mark said, well, just freestyle. Just make up some rhymes. Like, we just, we just, we'll just rap. As soon as Buff started beatboxing, the place just went freaking crazy so Curtis Blow is out there and he's judging you know he's judging the contest as well and he's just sitting there and we're like starstruck looking at Curtis Blow and trying to rap and um so we get off stage and Charlie Stetler who was who was our manager after you know after everything was said and done if we won the contest um he walked up to us and said um hey you guys are going to be the winners like he already said that we're going to be the winners. Yeah. So, <laughs> mind you, we haven't been on the block um, for like a few hours, like maybe five to six hours. So we're now, you know, we're all cap, you know, captivated by this whole thing that we're winning the um, the semifinals. So we get back on the train, and you know, we're celebrating, high fiving. We get back on the block in Brooklyn. And there's people walking up. Hey, everybody's looking for y'all. Everybody's looking. Yo, your mother's gonna get you. Yo, your father's going. Your father's looking for you. So I'm walking in the house like a guy who's going to death row because I'm like, oh man, I'm about to get a, the beating of my life. And I walk inside the walk inside the house. My mother's there with the belt. She's like, where you been all day? I said, hold up, just just give me a chance to explain. We entered the rap contest. She said, what the hell is rap? She don't know what the hell rap is. She never heard of it. So, so my sister, she, she comes out the back room and she defends me. She goes, oh, I forgot to tell you, they went to enter a rap contest today. Oh, oh, you guys entered? I said, yeah, we won the semifinals. So my mother, she's looking at me and my sister like, okay, what's going on? Somebody, somebody <laughs> need to tell me something. Just as she's saying that, the radio is playing. And it's on WBLS. This is crazy how life works. The guy says, congratulations to the Disco 3 on oh. winning the semifinals. Oh, my God. And I, said, and I said, that's us, Disco 3. She said, what is a Disco 3? I said, that's me, Buff and Mark. 
And she goes, I don't understand what's going on right now. I said, if we win the contest, we'll win a record contract. She said, who's going to give you guys a record contract? I'm like, I don't know. I guess the people <laughs> we win the contest. So um, <laughs> everybody outside is, is like, is yelling because they heard it on the radio as well. And um, because they thought we were lying at first, like we went to the contest and we won. They were like, yeah, right. You guys didn't win. So um, in two weeks, they had the finals, which was held at Radio City Music Hall. And the place is sold out. Mind you, hip hop has not really taken off as of yet. Mm-hmm. But this this contest has sold out Radio City Music Hall, and we won the contest. We won. Huh. We actually won the contest. So, you know, we now, celebrated. Have you, guys, have you guys been performing as a group before this? You just like just hung out, kind of getting together. Just hung, I mean, we did like a couple of talent shows, a couple mm-hmm. of talent shows, and we just wrapped, really wrapped in street corners and at parties and stuff like that. But people knew us as. The guys who always rap, like those are the three guys who's always rapping, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and where did the Disco 3 name come from? And you had you considered other names too? Or well, there was a group called the Disco Four. Okay. And they were they were a rap group. And I told Buff, um, I said, Well, we can't be Disco Three because this is Disco Four. So Buff goes, Yeah, but the sport is there's four of them and three of us. So it's like, you know. We can still be called the disco. This is how naive we were to everything. So um, we called ourselves the disco three and we just just ran with it. How how many groups entered this contest? It was over 700 rappers. Wow. Oh, my God. Throughout the whole tri-state area, it was like 700 rappers. Oh my God! So, so you win. So you you guys won the contest. So what happens next? They they offer you the contract. They we get the contract. Um, of course, we had to bring our parents and all this stuff to um help us. You know, the sign to go over <laughs> the details and all that stuff. We were too young to sign anything, and we go into the studio. We put out our first record, and um the first record is called is a is a song called Reality, mm-hmm. and. At this time, the message is the biggest song in hip hop by Flash and the Furious Five. So everybody's trying to do the same formula by trying to rap about street life and all that stuff. Our song comes out. I don't think it get past our block. Um, I don't think it sold a thousand copies. If it sold a thousand copies, that's because our manager bought a thousand copies of it. It's like <laughs> one of the worst records ever. And um, the radio station played it because the radio station promoted the um, the contest. So they had to play it. They're like, <laughs> we don't want to play this crap, but we'll play it. That's how bad it was. Oh, no. So, so we, had to, we had to pretty much regroup. Um, we actually went on an overseas tour with that song. We went to Switzerland. We must have stayed in Switzerland for like three weeks performing that song at every club known to man in Switzerland. And even twice at the same club in, in, you know, in one week, you know, performing on that one song. So our manager, um, he wanted to regroup and get Curtis Blower on to produce our next single, which was Fat Boys. And Curtis Blow agreed to it. And he came into the studio. And um, me, Mark, and Buff came into the studio. We heard the track. We were like, wow. Like, who, like the, you know, the chorus was saying Fat Boys. Like, that's that's a, that's a dope song, but who are the fat boys? He's like, you guys are the fat boys. Like, no, no, we're not. We're the Disco Three, you know. But um, <laughs> so he said, but you know, the the track is titled Fat Boys because you guys are a little chubby. So you know, just write something about food and 
you know, that, you know, how much you like food and, and just put it into a rhyme. So we went in there, we did it. And the song comes out and um, it's an instant hit. But what's crazy is when the song comes out, it comes out on a Friday. Mind you, we're freshmen in high school. Wow. So <laughs> you can imagine being a football player, baseball player, basketball player, you know, the big man on campus, whatever, in high school. Now, times that by 10,000 and having a hit record on the radio. Oh. And you're coming back to school Monday after <laughs> Friday through Sunday. They're playing this record like, you know, three times every hour because it's a hit record. And uh. we get back to school Monday and it's like, it's like the Beatles entered the freaking hallways or whatever. Uh, Mark is going to a different school. He went to Canarsie and me and Buff went to Thomas Jefferson. So we go back to school. We couldn't even get to our classrooms. That's how crazy it was. I mean, all of a sudden, you're a lot more popular with the girls. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> because we joined the football team. Um, we retired at an early age because we couldn't, you know, we couldn't get to play the positions we wanted to. But we really joined the football team to try to get the cheerleaders, you know, get a cheerleader as, as a girlfriend and to get the jackets and a jersey. <laughs> so, um, so by the time we get to school Monday, it's like, you know, cheerleaders are saying, oh, the heck with the football team. You guys got records, you know? So, but it, it was just a fun time, man, just to see every, I mean, the, 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 the uh, principal is on the loudspeaker saying, we have celebrities in our school. Say hi to David Wembley and Darren Robinson. They got the number one song on the radio. You know, people are looking. By the way, Riddick Bo, the boxer, the champion boxer, a heavyweight boxer, yeah. he's in the same we we had the same um homeroom and wow. history class together. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> and he turns to me and he goes, um, he was still in the Olympics at the not the Olympics, he was still in golden gloves. Right. He was going to the Olympics and he turns to me, he goes, um, you got a hit record on the radio? I'm like, Yeah, I guess. He's like, nah, you're lying. <laughs> Mind you, this guy's like six foot four. I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue with you about that. I already know you're a boxer, you know. <laughs> Uh, that I, did, I hadn't read that you were with Riddick Bowe. That, that's the one thing I hadn't read at a time. Wow. <laughs> so when, when did your first big break come? And first of all, when, when, I just got to ask, when he says to you guys, you're the fat boys now, what did you, what did you think about this? I mean, Oh, no, we didn't, we didn't agree on. We wanted to be called Disco 3. And our yeah. manager said, you can keep the name, but the song is called Fat Boys. <laughs> and so we, we know we couldn't like, well, I don't get it. Like, why can't we be called the Disco 3? No, you are the Disco 3, but the song is called Fat Boys. <laughs> so it took them like an hour to try to break this down to us. <laughs> and until finally we started writing rhymes to the song. And um, so, you know, the song comes out and everybody's loving the chorus. And we're just thinking like, okay, the song is called Fat Boys. We're the Disco 3. So we're trying to explain this to people. And people are like, no, 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 you guys are the Fat Boys. No, no, no. You know, no, we're the Disco 3, you know? But, um, so we have a big name-changing party from Disco 3 to Fat Boys. Um, our manager wanted to change the name because, the, you know, the song is, is a big hit. He's like, well, I can't market the word disco. The word disco is like played out. Nobody uses disco anymore. So yeah. you guys are now called the Fat Boys. So we try to hold on to that name as, as much as possible. Like, uh, you know, 
the oh fight was over. We had to give it up. Yeah. So the mar- the market rebranded you. It was like that. It was it was that's that's straightforward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because there was a disco four and there was yeah. a disco three. And yeah. he was looking at it like, well, there's already a disco four. Why would you guys want to be called disco anyway? Disco is played out. Nobody listens yeah. to disco anymore, but you know, we just like the name Disco Three. So, oh, Curtis, so Curtis Blow is the one that basically came integral to your success afterwards? Oh, yeah. He was a huge part of the success because, um, you know, him he, he, he him coming in there in, in, in the studio producing the song. And, you know, at the time, he's one of the biggest rappers, solo rappers in the game. So um, to have his name attached to us, and we're pretty much nobodies because our, our first single, you know, so double wood. And to have Curtis Blow come aboard, and he's already affiliated with Russell Simmons, with Run DMC, who's popular already. So to have him come aboard and produce our first single, our second single rather, and it becomes an instant hit. So, you know, it was, it was huge for us. Now, is this, I read this now, is this true that this was the first album with, with beatboxing on it? First album with beatboxing on it and the first rap album to go gold as a group. Wow. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah, I mean, Sugar Hill Gang went platinum plus as a single, but their album did not go gold. Wow. Um, but our album, we had the first gold album as a rap group. God, incredible. I mean, and, and of course you just said, uh, it's it's like, it, it had to be beyond surreal. It's like, you've got this inst- amazing instant success where you suddenly just like treated differently by all your friends or your friends oh, yeah. still treating you like a like real people <laughs> they try to they try to but every now and then you look over and you see them just staring at you like uh, uh, what are you looking at i can't believe it's you well you we grew up together what do you mean you can't believe it's me we grew up together but yeah it's um i, I mean our parents didn't treat us differently so you come off tour or you come from doing a show and my father's been you know knocking on the door at, at one o'clock in the morning hey the garbage has to go out yeah. Oh really? man. I just came from overseas. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. But the garbage still has to go out, you know. It's a good way mm. to keep you grounded. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I need to hear if this story is true. I read that your manager got you into the a tour, a big tour, by claiming that you were opening for the Jackson Five. Is that yeah? Uh, Madonna. 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 Um, yeah. Um he See, our manager, he was like, um, he was like a Baldwin and Bailey um, slash um, Don King, you know. Um, yeah, he, he was over the top with his management. So he would tell us when we go on interviews, tell him that you just completed a tour with Madonna and then your next tour, you're going out with Michael Jackson and the Jackson 5 on their victory tour. And we're telling people this stuff. They're like, wow. You know, you're opening for Michael Jackson? Yeah, we just got on tour with Madonna. But here's the crazy thing. Madonna really did ask for us to go on tour, but he turned it down because the money wasn't good enough. The money wasn't good enough. And then they went to, she went to um, the Beastie Boys. Then she went to Run DMC to ask for them to go on tour. And they all turned it down because the money wasn't good enough. Uh So, but she really did ask for us to go on tour. So that would have been weird for us to be on tour with Madonna fans. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, you you were the first, I, I also, I remember these commercials when it came out. You were the first to do advertising for Swatch Watch? Swatch Watch, yeah. 
Mm. Our manager was really cool with the guy. They were like almost best friends. And um, he pretty much wanted us in one of his commercials. And MTV actually shot the commercial and they said it's going to air on MTV. So it's like a Christmas commercial for Swatch Watch. And um, yeah, we were like the first ones to do a commercial. So it was like really weird. Like we're jumping out of this helicopter and we're going Swatch Watch. Like, you know, like the superheroes or something crazy like that. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and so Swatch Watch actually, um, they actually, what do you call it? They promoted the tour. They sponsored the tour. I'm sorry. It was Swatch Watch and Sprite Soda. So our manager, he got Swatch Watch and Sprite Soda to sponsor the, the first all hip hop tour, which consisted of Fat Boys, Run DMC, um, Curtis Blow, and Houdini. It was called the Fresh Festival. Mm-hmm. And, and so Swatch Watch sponsored that tour. And um, that was the first ever hip hop tour. And that tour sold mm. out everywhere. I mean, the smallest cities you can think of in America, we were selling out. I mean, the big cities we were selling out within record time right. because nobody never seen an all hip hop tour, right. you know, and that was the first of its kind. I, I think I actually remember those back then. Now, but you, now you guys also, you, you just mentioned MTV. You guys were the first to cross over into MTV also, right? Well, Run DMC was, I think they did Rockbox. And then after that, they did um, uh, Walk This Way with um, Aerosmith. Aerosmith. And right. we came along with the Beach Boys song with the Wipeout. And um, yeah, so Run DMC, I mean, um, MTV wasn't really opening the doors to hip hop at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, they would play some songs at night. Like they would play our songs and Houdini's songs and Run DMC song. But once Walk This Way came out, it was like, you know, the floodgates were open, you know. Was there was there any sort of ever rivalry with Run DMC or any of the other groups? At first, at first we were really, really cool with one another. But I think once they found out that we were the first to go gold. Yeah, remember Run DMC wanted to be the first of everything. Right. <laughs> with their manager, mm-hmm. Russell Simmons. Right. And Russell was pretty much, he was heated at me and Mark because we were teasing Russell about, hey, we went gold first. Like, you know, we already gold. You guys got to catch up to us. And <laughs> Russell has a reckless mouth. I mean, he'll curse you out. And he was cursing me and Mark and D out like it was no tomorrow. You mother effers and F you mother. I'm like, whoa, whoa, calm down, buddy. You know, he was just taking it easy. What? So we were just messing with him. We were calling Sylvester the cat. You know, Sylvester had to lisp. And so we were like, hey, calm down, Sylvester. You know, and it, that made him even more mad, you know. Um, but we had a <laughs> We had a lot of fun on tour with those guys. You know, we were rivalries at one point. We became friends. And then once we left and did our own stuff, um, we were pretty much rivalries after that. So it was mm-hmm. like, you know, all gloves were off. We, we <laughs> never did songs dissing one another, though. It was right, just right. little talks we, here and there about Run DMC was saying this. And we'll say, well, tell them we said this, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys had such... A- a, t- a truly distinctive persona and w- infused with so much humor. Was that something that you were marketed that way or did that just come generically out of your, your personalities and your own style? I think with um, our management, like I say, he was very over the top. So I think he wanted to market us as this sort of like a three stooges 
kind of act, you know, rap yeah. act. And some of the stuff we did, we were like, you know, hey, you know, this is like a little bit too much. Like, you know, <laughs> you know? he was more like, no, nah, it's going to work. Trust me, it'll work. And he would tell us all the time, you guys are not Run DMC. You're not hardcore rappers. I'm like, yeah, we get it. But, you know, some of this stuff, man, come on, man, you know. But, you know, it, in all in all, it, had to, it has to be a balance, especially in rap music. So you got to have your seriousness. You got to have your, your humor. Um, because this music is so hardcore, even the funny stuff could be kind of explicit, you know. So I guess he wanted to put the point out there that Run DMC can have their fan base and Fat Boys can have their fan base. And you don't really have to be serious all the time in, in rap music and talk about, I mean, it's cool to talk about situations that's going on, you know, in the streets and, and you know, the, the social conscious stuff that, that public enemy um, or whoever is talking about. But it's at the same time, people do want to have fun. Nobody wants to come to a concert and everybody's just talking about, you know, sad stuff all the time. You know, you want to mm -hmm. talk about other things. I think um, LL Cool J said the same thing. He said, um, he, he's not going to rap about social conscious stuff that's going on in the streets because that stuff is going on already. People want to come and, and enjoy themselves and, you know, not think about that for like maybe an hour or two. Right, right. You know? mm -hmm. So, you know, our, our humor was um wasn't all about food it was all about good time having a good time and good music you know well i, I was fans of both so i mean it was like <laughs> i gravitated more to the fat boys i mean i loved you guys <laughs> oh thanks man how did crush groove come about crush groove came about um because hollywood seeing what was going on in hip-hop i guess they wanted a piece of the action so to speak <laughs> and they came knocking and we were on tour at the time. We were on the first Fresh Festival. And they sent out a writer to, um, to sit down with all the acts who were on mm -hmm. the on the tour. Um, Houdini didn't want no part of Crush Groove because the money wasn't good enough. Oh. Um, because they already said they were offering like minimal amount. I think we got like $18,000 to shoot that movie. Um, <laughs> so they said, no, nah, we don't want no parts of that. But I think in the whole scheme of things is that a movie lasts a lifetime. I don't think Houdini seen that. They, don't, they didn't see the big picture. Um, videos are good, but a movie will last a lifetime. So our mm. manager wanted us to be in that movie. And um, we got to the set and Michael Schultz, he, he directed movies like um, Which Way Is Up and Cooley High and yeah. um, he even did Disorderlies. And he wanted us more into the movie. So he's writing us in the script every day. Mm. And um, so we were only supposed to be in the movies for like maybe um, five to 10 minutes. So Michael to, Schultz, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Michael Schultz took a liking to us because Russell, once again, here comes Russell Simmons and he's like, the movie should be about Run DMC. This is a Run DMC movie. <laughs> this is not a Fat Boys movie. You know, so, <laughs> so we got written into the script more and more each day. So it was like a 50-50 kind of movie. And um, yeah, so the movie comes out. When that movie came out, it was mayhem everywhere. I mean, mm -hmm. and I think what happened was I was telling people, I was doing an interview and people said, why was there so much um, violence going on with, when Crush Groove came out? I said, it wasn't 
because people were being violent towards one another. It's because people were excited to see, they never seen anything like that, rappers on screen. So they were just excited. They weren't like they were just coming out there to start trouble. They was like, oh wow, Fat Poison, LL Cool J and Run DMC and Beastie Boys are in a movie and Curtis Blow. So there's just excitement going on. Mm. But um, it was a lot of craziness going on at movie theaters, man. You know, we drove by one. Go ahead, sorry. Go ahead. We drove by one particular theater in Queens. And they were like, you would think it was like a freaking um, a military base. There were so many cops around the theater and barricades everywhere. And, you know, searchlights. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, it was crazy. Mm. Um, Like I said, people were just excited to see the movie, you know. I had read that. I read that, they, that you guys were not in it so much originally, and then because you made some impression, so they just kept putting you in more and more. That's really what happened. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Because, like I said, Russell Simmons thought the movie should be exclusively about Run DMC, and he was like, "Well, why the hell are the Fat Boys in the movie?" And I guess, I guess Michael Schultz seemed the big picture. You got to have a balance. Once again, you can't have a bunch of angry guys and promoting this kind of music. You got to have a balance. You got to have a good side and a, and a serious side, a fun side, a fun side and, and a serious side to this whole culture of hip hop. Because if not, if everything is taken seriously, then everybody's going to be like rebellious and, and you know, and, and be at concert and start in trouble because the music is so powerful. And the music is powerful in itself. You don't need a message every song saying, you know, crazy stuff and you know, going against the establishment kind of stuff. That's cool, but at the same time, you need a fun side. You know, I just watched it again recently, and I just, I just kept like this. The same thing as when I was a kid. I was like, I can't wait till they get back on screen again. I can't wait till the families come back on screen. <laughs> <laughs> well, the all you can eat scene, um, yeah. which everybody <laughs> loves. We shot that. We were on tour, and we shot. We we got up like five o'clock in the morning. We flew out. No, we 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 left that night. We, we took a private jet to New York and we were in Mississippi. We took a private jet to New York. We shot the scene at five in the morning wow. and we got back on the plane. We were like rock stars. We got back on the private jet and flew back out to Alabama and got on stage just in time. So it was like, you know, there's some kind of rock stars going on. So that was a rock star moment. When you think about that film today, what are some of your memories about working on it? Oh, some of the memories, me and LL Cool J just having arguments every day. Um, <laughs> yeah, we were just going at it all the time. Um, Run just walking around the set like he owned it, you know, just <laughs> Run just like, you know, this is my movie kind of persona and I'm Run and this is DMC and, you know, all kinds of stuff. But the, the good thing was that we would come to the set every morning and we would just rap like running DMC and me and Mark and Buff doing the beatbox. We just rap every morning before we start shooting. So we just had, we had, we had a lot of fun on that set. We were like running around, we were kids. So we just running around the set and having fun. And here's another story. Because Sheila E was in the movie, Prince came on the set one day. And Michael Schultz, the director said, hey, he's telling the people in the audience that we're shooting a, a, a scene 
on stage with the audience out there. So it's like maybe like 50 people out there. He tells everybody on the bullhorn, Prince is coming to the set today. Please do not look at him. Don't say nothing to him. You're talking to New Yorkers. Oh. New Yorkers <laughs> don't care about stuff like that. So he's coming to the set. Me and Buff are horsing around on the set, on the stage. Buff pushes me hard and I fall back. And guess who I fall back into? Oh, man. <laughs> so he kind of, he kind of like, you know, holds me up a little bit. And I look back, I said, that's Prince. But his bodyguard is like the size of a tree. And he's giving me like these death, I mean, this, this guy's like, I've never seen a man so big. And this guy is freaking huge. His arms are like huge. And he's giving me like this look. I'm like, I'm oh, sorry about that. <laughs> so the Prince just takes it in stride. He just keeps walking. I'm like, whoa, that's Prince. Prince is here, you know. And of course he's there because of Sheila E. But um, everybody's going, hey, Prince, hey, Prince. And Michael Schultz told everybody, do not say anything to him. Like, dude, this is New York. You know what I'm saying? Window, right? <laughs> hey, that's out the window. <laughs> now, based, based upon that, that's, Based upon how you guys did in Crush Groove, that's when you got your movie contract? They offered you a movie based on that? Yeah, yeah. They, um, they seen us in Crush Groove, and we made such an impression that they offered us a three-picture movie deal. And mm. the first movie, of course, was Disorderlies. Mm. And um, yeah, so we shot Disorderlies. And here's a fun fact. Um, Ralph Bellamy, who played um, the guy we was taking care of right. in the movie, he was not supposed to be in the movie. It was supposed to be Art Carney from oh wow uh, yeah from mm. the honeymooners, but um, the negotiations broke down and I guess they couldn't offer him enough money. So Ralph Bellamy stepped in, which I mean he's an icon in, in Hollywood mm. anyway. So you know, it worked out pretty good. And he he would come to the set and he would just sit there and look at us like with this big smile on his face. So one day our manager said. Um, he said, you're always looking at the guys with the smile on your face. And he's, he told our manager, I'm just trying to figure out what they're saying. Like, I can't understand what they're saying because we're talking so much slang. You know? So he's trying to understand what the hell we're talking about. So, <laughs> well, he was, he was cool, man. He was really cool. I want to ask about, I want to come back to Disorderlies in a second, but you, you know, you had 86, you had Big and Beautiful, and then like 87, you guys just exploded. I mean, the, with Disorderlies and Crushing. Now, right. let's let's start with, now, they pitched you Disorderlies, or did you have any say in what the, you guys would do? No, they pitched Disorderlies to us, and um, we, you know, we saw the script, we saw the, the whole outline of everything. We're like, all right, cool, this is, this, it's not too bad. We thought they would give us a crazy movie like we're you know, we're working at McDonald's and, you know, we're eating food in the whole day or something like something crazy like that. <laughs> but we saw the script. We were like, oh, OK, this is cool. And, you know, the guy from I think he's from General Hospital. He was in the movie as well. Anthony Geary, I think his name is. Oh, yeah. And um, so, yeah, it was it was a cool script. I mean, me and Mark was, was trying to write another story for the next movie. We were writing something called Fat Tuesdays. And. <laughs> It was, a, it was about us being in New Orleans, but we're, we're, we're three detectives who got kicked off the, kicked off the force, <laughs> um, and we're trying to search for a werewolf. So we're trying to redeem ourselves to get back on the force and search for a werewolf who, were, who was killing 
um, people at Fat Tuesday at Mardi Gras. So we were writing that. We're like, yo, this is going to be crazy. But um, they pulled the plug on the whole um, deal with the, the three-picture movie deal because, um, plus, I mean, um, Disorderly wasn't too successful at the box office. So, you know, it is what it is. I would have liked to see that werewolf movie. <laughs> so. I would, we, we were we were like we was loving like we were writing this stuff every night, you know. So we were excited about showing this to um, Warner Brothers, but we didn't get a chance to. Well, going back to the th- you mentioned Ralph Bellamy. I mean, did you guys and Helen Reddy had a small part in there too? I mean, did you guys know yeah. who they were when you came in or no? Did they well, somebody told were? us. Somebody told us who um who Helen Reddy was and Ray Parker Jr. was in it as well. Um, the Ghostbusters, who made Ghostbusters. Mm. Um, but yeah, somebody told us who Helen Reddy was. Also, there was another group, Cheap Trick. They were in there. <laughs> and at the end of the movie, that's how we met the Beach Boys, actually. Mm. And they came in at the end of the movie. So the way you see how we met the Beach Boys, that's how they came on the set. So our manager is like, hey, the Beach Boys is going to make a cameo appearance. Like, Okay, <laughs> you know, so they came on the set. We talked for a little while, and they said, "Yeah, we heard it, you guys. Like we heard it. Like we do the same thing. Like Run DMC. Let me do that kind of stuff, right?" We're like, "Oh yeah, we rap, you know." So, um, so our manager thought it'd be a good idea just to do a song with the Beach Boys called Wipeout, and um, he hooked up with um their producer, and. He said, yeah, the guys would love to do a song with the Beach Boys. Without ever asking us, he just said, yeah, the guys would love to do a song with the Beach Boys. Okay, thanks for asking us. So we went to the studio. We did our part in in New York. They did their part in California. And they just kind of blended the the thing together. And we did the video. And that was it. Was was Disorderly's at least fun to make? Uh Uh-huh. Was Disorderly's fun to make, at least? Oh, it was, it was really fun. It was, it was a lot of fun to me. A lot of fun. Matter of fact, we, we shot the movie not too far from the Playboy Mansion. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised to say we never went there. But um, <laughs> yeah. we shot it not too far from the Playboy Mansion. We had a lot of fun making Disorderly's. A lot of fun. <laughs> Man, so it was different like... from, yeah, it was different from making Crush Groove. You know, oh. it was different food. It was different money. <laughs> so everything was up, it was an upgrade, you know what I mean? You're the stars now. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, do you ever go back? Do you ever go back and rewatch it? And and if, if you do, what kind of thoughts come to mind or memories? Actually, I watched both movies, Crush Groove and Disorderlies, one time at the premiere. That was it. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, I, I never I never seen it again after that. <laughs> and my, my vivid memory of Disorderlies was at the premiere of Disorderlies. Eddie Murphy is sitting like one row in front of me. And he turns mm. around before with the light, when the house lights are going down to premiere of the movie, he turns around and gives a thumbs up to me and Mark. We're like, yo, is Eddie Murphy? <laughs> <laughs> like you say, this better be good because I took my time out to come here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> You can going back to, to the wipeout and uh, and crush it. I love that album. I loved I I played that album out. No, but I still I still actually listen to the well, crush it is such a great song to me also. But I heard that you guys were not crazy about the album. Is that no 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 um crushing? Let me just tell you give you a background about the album crushing. 
um, prior to this, um, we were kind of being written off. Like, you know, um, they can't pull another rabbit out the hat kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. it's over for these guys. Like, there's no way they're going to come back from the last album. And, you know, I guess they were kind of looking at us like a novelty or something. Like, it's over. And then we went in the studio and we did, uh, we did Crushing. But the thing was, with Crushing, well, we were getting older. So we wanted a more mature sound. So our first single was Falling in Love um, yeah. off the album. But yeah, the Crushing album was like, um, it was like, for us, it was like our payback to the industry. Like, oh, you guys are writing this off. And the numbers were coming in like every week. And our manager, he was doing backflips from the numbers. And we just hit another 40,000. And we just hit another 35,000. So he's going crazy. And the label is going crazy. Mind you, we had switched labels at this point. Mm-hmm. We had left Sutra Records. And now we're on um, we're on 10 Pan Alpha Records, but we're being distributed by Polydor. So Polydor took a chance on us. Um, even though they thought that we were over with as far as selling records. And their big act at the time was Cameo and Bon Jovi. So we knocked, we knocked the Platinum Plus album out the park on our first album, on our first, you know, mm. first time being on Polydor. Like, they were doing backflips and somersaults in the streets. Like, oh, man, these guys, like, we're, like, at 1.7. So um, yeah, crushing was like um, was 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 monumental for us as a group, and just kind of a like yeah, you, it's not over yet for us, you know what I mean? So you guys are writing this off, but yeah, but um, doing the song itself, crushing, was um, you know everybody liked that song. We performed that song that one song. time. I do love that song. <laughs> and we performed it one time on stage, ever. <laughs> one time on stage. But um, yeah, we just had we just had a lot of fun doing that particular album, you know. And and wipe out. So you, so you did not so you worked nothing with the Beach Boys at all. That's that's so funny to me because right. it's such a great song too. But that that song, I mean, I remember the time because you know I I was a fan of you guys, but then all of a sudden that song just like pushed you guys. I remember another stratosphere. Yeah. I mean, how did your how did your careers change and everything after that? You know, and you know when you're young. And you're running around like that, you don't stop to really see what's going on, to see the impact you're having on on the culture or even in your career. So everybody's telling us, like, you know, the hottest thing on the radio right now is you guys. The hottest thing that's selling in record stores are you guys. And we're just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. When's the next show? So we're like, you know, we're on tour, we're just on to from, from one city to the next. And we're not taking time just to enjoy our success, Appreciate you know? Mm. And um, so, and plus our, our record company is pretty much tapping us on the shoulder, like, hey, get prepared for the next album. You know? <laughs> it's like, you don't have time to even rest, you know? But um, it's, um, as I look back on it now, um, I've read something through Rolling Stone magazine. They put out an article and they said the summer of 87 belonged to the Fat Boys. I was like, damn, that's crazy. Mm. And they put this article out like in 2019. Like, remember the summer of 87 was the summer of the Fat Boys. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. So you look at the first album that we did and you look at from, from 1984 to 1987. Mm-hmm. And sometimes with rap music, 
with a rap group or a rapper, um, they have a pinnacle of maybe one or two albums. Then the popularity starts to drop. Um, I mean, right now you have guys like Eminem and you know Nas and Jay Z mm-hmm. and these guys. They can go on forever. But at one point in hip hop, um, one to one to three albums, you were pretty much done. Mm. And we were on our fourth album, mm-hmm. and we were still climbing to another stratosphere. So that that was huge. That was really big at the time. I still hear White Bat on the radio today. I mean, I certainly. <laughs> But I, I got to ask before we go on to the thing, I got to, the, the next album, I want to talk about, are you ready for Freddy? Because I also, I love that song. I oh, play it every Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they approached you to do a song for Nightmare on Elm Street? That's what? They approached us. And we're, we, you know, we were we were so naive. We thinking that we're going to be in the movie, uh-huh. um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm. So of course, me and Mark and Barf are like, yo, Freddie's gonna chase us around in the movie. This, this is gonna happen. Like, how are you gonna act when Freddie is chasing you and doing this? And our manager is like, no, you idiots. You're only doing a song for the movie. You're not gonna be in the movie. I'm like, oh, thanks for busting, bursting that bubble. So, you know, we go outside. <laughs> we just do the song and, you know, the studio loved it. So we, they invited us to the premiere, which was in Georgia. And we go down there and they play the song and people are rocking out to it. And to this day, everybody, I mean, every like you said on Halloween, yeah. everybody's hitting me up and going, hey, I'm playing the Freddy song that you guys did, Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm like, all right, cool. And it's crazy that we met, we did the video and we did the video in Burbank at a studio in Burbank. And um, so Freddy Krueger, right? yeah, Robert England. And we're in like this dirty um, kind of like factory or whatever. And it's all this dust and everything. And it's hot as hell in there. Mm. And Freddie's has, he has to wear the whole makeup and all this, you know, the sweater and everything. But he's a professional. So we're like, yo, dude. So we're talking to him like between takes, like, you're not hot in that right now? Like, no, no. He, he's talking like, he's not talking like Freddie. No, I'm good. You know, you know, this is like regular for me. You know, <laughs> but, but at one point in the video, we were really scared because he scared the hell out of us. Like we didn't know he was coming out of a certain door, and it was dark in there. And we're like, yo, you know. So we were really scared. I guess they kept that part. But, um, <laughs> but we had a lot of fun shooting that video. We shot that in one day in Burbank. <laughs> That is a fun video. I like I said, I, I I do I also play like every Halloween I post it on social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it become kind of like a cult hit for people. Like they gotta play that song. And they of course they gotta DM me and, and send, send it to my inbox. Hey, look what I'm playing. <laughs> That's nice, you know. <laughs> well then then you had the next one. And like no, again, I I was a fan, I love these songs too, but again, I heard that you know, like you have the Louie Louie and the twist with Chubby Check right. and right. on the coming back hard again. I, I I said, I love those songs, but you guys did not like those anymore. Oh no, we were done with the cover songs. That was it for us. Because you know what happened was we did the twist. Mm-hmm. We're like, okay, well, Chubby Checker's an icon, you know. Um, our mothers and our parents were like, hey, you're doing a song with Chubby Checker. You know, when I was a kid, I was doing the twist. Like, that's great. You know, that's cool. So we did the song and we did Louie Louie. Then our manager said, hey, I got an idea. I was thinking about doing Long Tall, long, long, tall Sally with <laughs> Little Richard. 
Well, like, you got to be out your damn mind. I'm not doing no damn Morty's cover song. Like, <laughs> dude, we weren't even born when these damn people were out, like, Morty's song. So, but, um, so we kind of, we, we didn't want to do the twist. But mm-hmm. once we met Chubby Checker and see how cool he was and, like, yo, this is, you know, he's a cool guy. We thought he was going to be kind of stuck up and, you know, egotistical or whatever. And the crazy thing about it is Dick Clark, um, we were doing the MTV Awards and Dick Clark was producing it that year. And he pulled us to the side and he said, hey, guys, you know, Chubby Checker, I knew him since he was a kid, you know, you know take care of him. You know, look out for him. I'm like, what was it? What, what's going on with Chubby? You know, something going on that we don't know about. He was like, no, you know, you know, you guys are young. You probably don't know the impact he had, but you know, respect him and all that stuff. I'm like, yeah, we respect him. You know, it's Chubby Checker. You know what I'm saying? So, but we out. You know, he was a real cool guy. He was really cool. We also did a show with him in London. Um, he came on at Wembley Stadium. He came on stage and then we did the twist out there for like 80,000 people doing the twist, you know. Oh my gosh. Well, what what eventually led to the breakup of the of the Fat Boys? The breakup happened because um management and the three individuals, me, Mark, and Buff, were getting older. And upon us getting older, we didn't want to do the kind of music that they wanted us to keep doing. We wanted to expand our music and our sound because we're getting older. We can't do this kind of cover songs anymore and all this kind of stuff. And um, so there was like a communication problem with management and us. So um, the thing is, we're young at the time, but we're still kind of egotistical. He's egotistical. So, you know, nobody wants to come to the table and try to make amends or anything so we kind of just lost communication with one another we were getting shows here and there and he was um saying hey you guys got a show here you got to get a show here i'm not going to make it out there with you if you want to do it you can if you don't want to do it don't do it so we kind of you know what once this contract is up we'll just split you to go our separate ways and um we'll be done with him and he'll be done with us so that's kind of what we did you know it was um you know, we went on the radio. We went on the radio on Hot 97. No, I'm, I'm sorry, 98.7 Kiss FM, and which was like the number one station at the time. And we did like a two-hour interview of us breaking up with management. You know, we said some things that he didn't like, and, you know, it got back to him. And, you know, so it was like a big thing going on. But, yeah, I remember, like I said, we were young, and we just wanted to – we really wanted to um, rid ourselves of one another. And, and with him, you know. And when I say with ourselves and one another, like we've been together since we were like 14 years old. Mm. At this time, we're like 22, um, 23 years old. And we're like, listen, I'm done with the music for right now. Maybe we can come back some other time and, and do some other stuff. And, you know, why don't you go this way? I'll go that way. And, I'll, you know, you go north, south, and east. I'll, you, know, you know, you guys just chill over there for a little while. I'll chill over here. And we kind of agreed on that. And it was kind of like, you know, um, you know, you see somebody every day. You know, when you're on tour, you have to see someone every day. And if you're doing shows seven days a week, you got to see this person. Then when you get home, Buff's favorite thing, Buff the Human Beatbox, his favorite thing was 
I would tell him in the limo going home from the airport, listen, I've seen you for like three and a half months. I don't want to see you for like maybe two weeks. I need a break from you. And he would say, all right, yeah, no problem, man. Within an hour, he's at my house blasting music in his car. Yo, let's go hang out. What the hell? What? Like, come on, man. You know? Oh, I don't want to see you right now. You know? <laughs> so Wow. And not, not long yeah. after you guys broke up, he, he passed. So and that, how, what are your memories of him? Oh, man. Um, Wolf was just um, a fun-loving guy, you know. And, you know, what, what, the thing with him is that he was getting better with his producing. Mm-hmm. And had he been alive today, I think he probably would have been one of the best producers out there as far mm. as hip-hop music and all this. And he was getting better and better because he was musically inclined to begin with. So, um, yeah, so we got the word that uh, it was Mark who called me, actually, and said, you need to get to Buff's house. He's not breathing. And I'm saying he's not breathing. Because at first, I didn't answer the phone. He said, Mark kept calling me and calling me. And I seen it was like maybe 1.15, 1.20 in the morning. And I'm like, why is he calling me? Um he must be at Buff's house. They must be having fun over there in the studio. I'll see him tomorrow. This is like on a Saturday morning, a Saturday night. And so finally I picked up the phone and he said, hey, I'm trying to call you. You need to get to Buff's house. He's not breathing. So I'm like, he's not breathing. So I jumped in my car and I zoomed over to his house. And when I walked through the door, he was, he was lying on the floor. And I was like, oh, you got kidding. Mm. Mind you, I just saw Buff Friday. I just saw about Friday um, at four o'clock, around four o'clock, four, like four o'clock, four or five. And we were talking and he was like, yeah, you know, D, I want to um, do another album, another Fat Boys album. And we're going to put it together. I'm like, yeah, you know, let's do it. Let's put it together. It's been, you know, it's been long enough. We should do another album. So when I left his house, I just had this strange feeling came over me. Like, you know, something you couldn't shake. And I just thought like probably anxiety or something like that. But um yeah so it was crazy man it was just it was really heartbreaking because his son was there and mm. we was trying to keep his son from coming downstairs he was only like maybe three years old keep mm. his son from coming downstairs to see his father laid out on the floor like that and uh but yeah it was it was it was heartbreaking mm. you know? I, I gotta say i i on social media i mean i reached out a couple of times to to mark ed through the years and each time i did he answered and i saw him do the same thing for other fans he seemed like incredibly gracious and everything. Yeah. Uh, did yeah. you keep a relationship with him through the years? Yeah, me and Mark. Um, matter of fact, I proposed a song to Mark. Um, I would say, wow, maybe two weeks before he passed away. Mm. And he said, why should we do a song together? I said, I don't know. I said, I just think we should, we should put a song out for the fans. And I said, I'm, I said, I'm not really into it 1,000%. I'm just shooting the idea. Um, I said, maybe tomorrow I might fall back and say, eh, you know, forget it. But, you know, just um, just think about it. And he was like, oh, okay. So I proposed the song to him, the song that we should do. He was like, oh, I like that. We, sh- we should try to put something together. I said, yeah, well, just think about it. I said, maybe tomorrow I'll have a different feeling about it and be like, eh, I don't want to do it. And actually, um, my phone was off. I had turned my phone off. 
And when I turned my phone back on, I had no idea what was going on. When I turned my phone back on, I started getting all this, all these text messages, like these beeps were coming through my phone. And I'm like, what the hell? And I got all, I had all these missed calls, like missed calls from like maybe 30 people. I'm like, what the hell is this all about? So I finally looked at one of the text messages of somebody that I actually was, was cool with, that me and Mark was cool with. And the text message read, yo, you need to, you need to respond to people. Mark passed away. Mm-hmm. And my heart, like, it's just like, I said, what? And I called him. I said, what are you talking about? He was like, yo, we've been, everybody's trying to call you. Mark, Mark passed away. And I hung up on I said, what? And I called Mark's phone. And I called his phone. And it went straight to voicemail. Mm. And I said, this guy got to be playing a trick. And, you know, then somebody else called me that knew Mark well and knew me well. I was like, yo, I'm so sorry, man. And I'm, I'm just, I, I got it on speaker and I'm listening to the person. I'm just sitting there going, and I'm, I'm trying to absorb this. I'm like, wait, hold up. What happened? What happened? He had a heart attack in the car on his way to the hospital. I said, Mark, I said, Marky D? He said, yeah, man, Mark. And I hung up on him. I'm like, this can't be happening right now. And yeah, but, you know, it didn't really hit me till later on that evening. You know, I was just just going through it and just thinking about what's going on. Because I'm looking at social media and all this stuff was popping up through social media and people still calling me and texting me and I wasn't answering the phone. And so it really didn't hit me till later on that evening. And I'm like, this can't be happening right now. But, you know, like he said, he was a really, really gracious guy. He was a really outgoing person. He was more outgoing than me because I was really more into just having my my privacy and you know and staying in the background and not really into all the stuff that he was into and I was cool with that um it's like I told somebody um just last week a lot of people don't know how to get back into civilization after being in the music industry or entertainment industry mm. they they still have to be relevant in some ways i said me I grew up in a household where, you know, my father worked hard and, you know, he took care of the family. So I looked at that like, you know, that's the way life should really be. You know, what we did as a group, that was cool. But I wasn't really too much into doing that stuff again. Mm. So it was easy for me to get back into civilization and just being a regular civilian again. Mm. And looking at this whole thing like it was just a fantasy, you know. Now, this is the reality. You know, you got to work to make a living, you know, that kind of thing. So, so I, I don't think you guys get enough credit for the influence you had on the genre. I, I mean, like I said, I thought you guys were like huge then. What do you, what do you think the legacy of the Fat Boy should be? Um, I think the legacy of us should be that we were the first rappers to really tell, you know, to give the, the entertainment industry and music as a whole that you don't have to have a certain look, you know, because before, before that, everything was pretty much, you had to be 140 pounds and wear tight clothes and all that stuff and mm-hmm. be a sex symbol. And none of us were sex symbols. So, you know, it was just a thing where you can be yourself and still be accepted. 
You know what I mean? And that's what brought um, guys like Big Pun, the rapper Big Pun, and Notorious B.I.G. and Heavy D. and all these guys, because prior to that, um, the music industry wouldn't have accepted maybe a Big Pun or a Notorious B.I.G. if it weren't for the Fat Boys, you know? Because you couldn't market that kind of stuff. You couldn't market the look. So with us, I think we brought a, a certain kind of um, presence like you can be who you are and still be successful in this music industry. You know, and even with Lizzo, the artist Lizzo, who's making waves like that right now, she's pretty much letting it be known that the big girls can actually be successful in her, you know, so she's making her mark in music. Mm. So um, that's a great message, yeah. You know, so the legacy in that and the music, you know, um, we weren't the best rappers, but we can hold our own with some of the best, put it like that. So, mm. <laughs> well, do your fans still reach out to you a lot? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> matter of fact, I'm putting together the second annual. The first annual was last summer. Uh, I put together second annual um, classic hip hop and R&B cookout. So last year I dedicated it to Marky D and ecstasy of Houdini who passed away as well. And so this year I'm putting together another, I got Dana White as a sponsor, you know, Dana White's a huge fan of the group. So he reached out to me, said he wanted to be, um, he wanted to be, I wouldn't say part of my life, but he said that he, we had such a huge impact that he felt obligated just to be friends with me. And, you know, because he loved the group so much, like, well, you're the last guy and I don't want to lose you with that kind of thing. I'm like, you know, so I went to one of his events in January um, in Madison Square Garden and we hooked up and he's a sponsor now for, for the event I'm putting together. Wow. So, yeah. So, Dana White is, you know, he's instrumental in, in wanting to keep the Fat Boys legacy alive, you know. Well, if, if you do something, you're welcome back anytime here to talk about it. <laughs> oh, definitely. definitely. So we'd love to have you there. Now, do you have any plans to go on tour again, maybe? Or? Um, you know what? There was going to be a um, welcome to the 80s or back to the 80s kind of tour. Um. And some people was reaching out to me and Mark at one point when he was still alive. And we were going to do it. We were going to do it. And so, you know, you never know. You know, you never know. Um, if somebody wants me to host a, that kind of tour, an 80s tour, I can do that. Do a couple of songs of, from the as group. As long as you perform, then I'm all for it too. <laughs> yeah, you know, of course, I got to perform, you know, maybe uh, I won't perform the twist. But I will perform white <laughs> and I'll stay away from that. But I will perform white out, you know, another song, maybe Can You Feel It or something like that. Well, I, I got to tell you, no, I, it was a real pleasure having you here today. Like I said, I'm a big fan. I, I told all my friends, my Brooklyn friends, and they were really jealous today. I got to tell you, they were, they were extremely oh, jealous that you were going to be on. And like I said, I grew up listening to you, and I, I this is a real pleasure for me. And like I said a few minutes ago, anytime you want to come back, you are welcome back. Oh. And I got to shout out to Samantha for making this happen. You're your rep here. So. Yeah, I'll publish this pain in right. behind, Samantha LaBelle. <laughs> <laughs> But but again, and thank you, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thanks for having me, man. And, and you know, 
thanks to you two guys for for loving our music, for loving what we did, and you know I appreciate you. Well, thank you. And this again, this has been Jonathan Rosen with Ike Eisenman, and we want to say special thanks to Cool Rock from the Fat Boys. And this has been Pop Culture Retro, and please subscribe. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Retro, where no one was hurt during the making of this podcast. <laughs>